Welcome back to Crimes and Closets. This is Christy in my closet in St. Louis. And this is Beth in my closet in North Carolina. <gasps> Hi, Beth. Hi. <laughs> I missed your face. I really did. I know. I, I missed my face, too, actually. I look at myself on here. No. <laughs> this is definitely the first time that I have looked at myself today. I have been cleaning, and I <laughs> the camera came on, and I was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> look at my hair. <laughs> it's okay. It looks like I've been through a car wash. I don't care what you look like. I'm glad to see you back no. on the, the screen again. Welcome back. So, cheers. Rhymes and closets. Cheers. <laughs> Happy Monday, everybody. We're so glad to be back. Yes, yes. We had a very nice time off and away of not thinking about this. It may have been too much because now I'm like, oh, I have to work again. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We definitely (laughs) work hobby. We, um, it's been a great time to have relaxation. I just got back from the beach. And so if anyone wants any sand, I've got plenty. Just plenty. Come holler, and you can have some if you need to fill a sandbox. If you need, you know, like some planter sand, I got you. You're back. It's fresh. Just dump it out of fresh the shoe. from the seashore. <laughs> oh, I'm finding it everywhere. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. I had it in my glasses case, and it scratched my glasses. Yeah. What? Like it didn't go uh, on the beach. I don't know how it got in there. <laughs> I don't like sand at all. Like that's Oh, really? I mean, it's part of the beach, man. Got em- no, but I don't em- really like the beach. Embrace the chaos. <laughs> I love the beach. We made a TikTok while I was at the beach. Yeah, we did. So there's We're on some TikTok. There's some housekeeping for you. You got to come follow us on TikTok. But actually, we made a TikTok while you're on the beach and we got canceled off of TikTok. It's true. Permanently deleted. <laughs> We within did. 24 hours. Yeah. Of, no, it wasn't within 24 hours. It was within the first few days. We'd put like four videos on there, and we apparently violated all the community guidelines. All we were permanently deleted for about eight hours. I don't know what yes. magic Christy did, but so if y'all, some little inside information, I am not a tech person. See, she's laughing because it's like hilarious for me to even say the word tech. That's how not a tech person I am. Christy's super good at it, though. She can like figure anything out. It's amazing. And I so we got this TikTok and I'm very new to TikTok. I don't love it yet, but I'm getting on board. And I was watching, you know, Christy would like followed some people that she thinks are funny. And she's like, go on there. Come on. You'll enjoy it. We'll have a great time. So I'm like sitting on our deck on the ocean following these people that Christy, you know, Friended? I don't know. Followed for us or whatever. Followed. And then all of a sudden I get this message and it's like, you have been permanently deleted for violating guidelines. And I was like, Christy, something happened. <laughs> something happened to TikTok. I don't know what I did. <laughs> I can't watch any more Gregisms. I'm like, I'm freaking out. I was just trying to sit here watching these funny videos. I didn't do anything bad. I was just, I wasn't even looking at the phone funny. Like something happened. And she's like, I'll figure it out. <laughs> and literally the next morning when I woke up. It was back online. <laughs> I don't know that, honestly, what it was anything that I did because I just sent an email, so I doubt they even read it. I think maybe they just, it happens to people and they realize that something triggers it and so then they take off whatever triggered it and then put you back up. Pro- oh. Is what I think, really. Because I don't, I mean, they never answered our email, so we just got put back up. She figured it out and now we're okay and I was able to go yeah. watch my videos. And so I like to watch yes. the videos. So come find us on there, Crimes and Closets. <laughs> Crimes and Closets on TikTok. <laughs> We, we don't know exactly how we'll use it. I was just going to say, we so, can promise you a lot. 
Right. But yeah, we'll probably right use we're... it more than Twitter. So <laughs> Well, for that. sure. We already have, I think. <laughs> for real. <laughs> so, yeah. So we might be a little slow to to doing it, but once we get used to like what kind of content we want to put on there, then I'm you sure can we'll see our cool. faces on it, which I think is nice. It's much yeah. more in, yes. you know, you can see my hair. Mm-hmm. It's not true. It's probably not all that nice, but <laughs> some people <laughs> like that, you know. <laughs> so, anyway, well, do you have anything else for me? I don't have anything else for no? you. I think that's all the housekeeping, except we have a tagline at the end of this episode, mm-hmm. which we love. Send them in. This is from our friend Nicole. Yes. We right? to, I don't know if we can reach out and let her know that it's going to be on there because she sent it in a while ago. She did. And she sent a voicemail in Anchor, mm-hmm. So, yeah. which is great fun. Guys, if you will send us a voicemail, we'll play it. Yeah, for sure. We get really yeah. excited about those. They're super fun. Yeah. And they're really easy to add to the episode when it's in there. Like, true. And the so. link is in our show notes. Yes, it is. Yes, there you go. It does. Click it. Click, click it click and it. send us a voicemail. Yeah. And let's let's give the people what they want. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's get back in the swing. All right. This case was sent to us by our friends over at Crimes. I always say Crimes and Roses. It's Crime and Roses. Oh. Yes. Megan and Danielle. Megan and Danielle. Mm-hmm. Hello, ladies. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, they sent it to us. Um, the, it is a local crime t- for them. They live and are based in Atlanta, and this is in Georgia, not far from Atlanta. So they sent it over to us as a suggestion, and, so, and I appreciate it. They are it. a Bachelor and True Crime podcast. Yes, they are. So <laughs> if you're into The Bachelor and True Crime, you should check them out. Yes, uh, right they're now, great. They're not really doing, I mean, I guess they are kind of doing some Bachelor stuff, like they're relating it and stuff like that, but normally they would recap The Bachelor after it, you know, shows, and then they relate a true crime story to something. Which legit are Christy's two favorite things, almost, The Bachelor and true crime, so. For real. Yeah. (laughs) You guys should have Christy on as a guest host. She would be great talking about The Bachelor. I would not, I've never seen not one episode, but. Yeah, I appreciate I, I, it from afar, and I love their true crime. They're amazing. I like their true crime, but I love like listening to those Bachelor recaps yeah. the next day. I'm sure. Fun, I'm so. sure. Yeah. So anyway, so thank you, Megan and Danielle. I appreciate it. Um, this story is from Spalding, Georgia, um, specifically the town of Griffin, and this is about an hour south of Atlanta, which is where they are located, Megan and Danielle. Griffin has about 25,000 residents, and the county, which is Spalding County, has about 65,000. So Griffin's supposedly the, like, largest city in this county. Okay. Um, It's probably going to make you pretty mad. I'm really glad that they trusted us with this story, but it's probably going to make you pretty mad because I I was, I'm annoyed by it and kind of had a hard time with it. I do not like to be mad in the morning. I know. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) It's kind of controversial in terms of the police and like possible cover-ups. And so I know that we complain sometimes about how police handle things and clearly we're not cops. And so we don't know what it's like to do their jobs, but sometimes it's just really obvious that they lacked in something that they did during a case and Hmm. it just makes you mad. So hang tight. All right. (laughs) I got my pants. pants. (laughs) Okay, so Jessica Lester, when she was about 15, she met Matthew Boynton. He was 16. They were in 10th and 11th grade, respectively. 
and in the same school, and they started dating around 2012. They kind of like were encouraged by friends. They looked cute together. You know, if you don't like each other, you can always break up. Not a big deal. Yeah, it's just high school. It's just high school. So she kind of had a little bit of a rough childhood. She was abandoned by her parents at the age of three, her, her brother, and her sister. Um, and so they grew up actually on their grandparents' farm in Pike County, which is about 15 miles from Spalding, the, the other county. Um, and just to mention here, because it is relevant later on, her mother was adopted. So these grandparents are her mother's adopted, adoptive parents. Okay. Matthew's parents got divorced when he was younger. And so his grandparents also somewhat like had a hand in helping raise him because they were just there to like help out, you know, in situations. His grandfather was a police officer. And so growing up, he, you know, wanted to be just like granddad. Um, Wendell Beam is his name. And he is the sheriff in Spalding County. Okay. So there we go. Like currently or at this time? Uh, No, he is not. During this time. Okay, got it. During the time of the story, he is. So about a year after they start dating, Jessica gets pregnant. So she lets her grandparents know they're super supportive and even want to help her raise the baby. However, Matthew and Jessica decide that they're just going to do this on their own. They're going to move in together. And they move into a house across the street from Matthew's grandparents. Tallinn is born in January of 2014. So we're about, you know, a little over a year and a half, two years into their relationship. Jessica finishes her high school years by taking online classes. Cool. Based on things that I read, I'm not really sure that Matthew and Jessica had the best relationship, although things weren't really specifically stated at this point. It's, you know, as we go on that we find out more information. Um, But I know that she had a short affair in 2014, and she became pregnant with a second child during that affair. So this is not Matthew's. Okay. But Matthew knows, and he basically says, oh, I'm just ready to raise this child as my own. And so they stay together. And Tyler is born in September of 2015. So they have Talon and Tyler. Talon and Tyler. Talon. Talon. Yeah, T-O-L-L-I-N. Oh, okay. I think I'm saying that right. That's a cool name. It is a cool name. It's very good. I've I've literally never heard it before. Yeah, (laughs) I like that. Um, Throughout their relationship, Jessica starts to see less and less of her family and friends. According to Matthew, it's because she isn't related to them by blood, so it doesn't matter. That's where this is the adoptive parents come in to question, and that kind of uh, triggered me a little bit. <laughs> no kidding. Also, yeah. rude. Yes, very Matthew rude. Matthew is not mm-hmm. nice. No, not it. I did not like that comment at all, because if you guys actually have listened to us long enough, you know that all of my kids are adoptive. And it doesn't make them any less my family or family of my extended family just because they don't share our same blood. Of course not. Of course not. So, but, okay, Matthew feels this way and sort of isolates Jessica and is controlling I think he needs a throat punch. Well, I would have a throat punch. I would have throat punched him for sure. (laughs) Exactly. So, um, I mean, because that would even, like, indicate that people like stepchildren are not your blood, so... They, then you don't accept them. And and this other child is not his blood. So does he feel that way about Tyler? Ooh, good point. Good point. I don't know. Anyway, <clears throat> so Matthew had briefly been a jailer for Pike County Sheriff's Office, but then he's hired as a patrol officer in Griffin, Georgia, which is the largest city, like I mentioned, in Spalding. His supervisor there in his personnel file described him as fiercely loyal, 
stiff and unwilling to bend. So to me, that kind of gives you a little insight into his personality and how maybe he could be a little controlling of Jessica. Mm. But anyway, he was just trying to keep her to himself. It, that's what it seemed like to me. So, so much so that he insisted that they leave their own wedding reception with her, which her grandparents paid for and held on their farm at their property after just an hour. So that he was like, yep, we got to go. It's an hour into our reception. We got to go. We're out. Why? And they leave. Just because that's what he was like. Like, there's other examples, which I didn't like put in here specifically, but like they would go visit and he'd be like, okay, it's time to go. And he would, they would never stay there that often. And he just always controlled the situation and didn't want them to have as good of a relationship for some reason. So anyway, Hmm. they were married uh, um, October 24th, 2015. So that was just a month after Tyler was born. That's when they decided to finally. And apparently there was like no proposal or anything. It was just like, we should get married. Let's do it. And they like (laughs) get up, get dressed. This is what we're doing now. Let's go. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. After this, they moved into an apartment complex in Griffin. Jessica was staying at home with the kids and she didn't have any access to like credit cards or money. So if she needed something during the day, like she needed to go to the store to get something, she would have to call Matthew So he could come home and take her or the grandfather would get stuff for her. She like basically hardly left the house. And also Matthew sometimes would even take the keys because he would have a patrol car to go to work in. And that works that way in some states. I know that in um, North Carolina, like my brother-in-law has a car that he takes home every day. It's his car. Like, and so he just takes that to work. So he doesn't have like used, like he doesn't like my dad, when he was a cop, used to drive to work to get his patrol car, (laughs) you know, they kept it on the lot or something. Yeah. So anyway, different states, but whatever. So he would take the keys to his truck when he left for work, and Jessica would just basically have no way of getting. I don't like anyone. that. Yeah, I don't like it either. That's so. not even safe with children. Like what I if know, they like, fall and have to go to the hospital or get sick or something. Like you're just gonna you have to call nine one one. I guess or I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, so we also have a report that at one time Matthew had hit his stepmother. And that put a strain on their relationship. And this apparently came from the mouth of his stepmother. She never, like, spoke to any, you know, reporters or anything. But um, whoever, whatever story I read this from, Jessica's aunt worked at the same school as his stepmom. And they were, like, having lunch one day. And she kind of confided that in the aunt. And, you know, she was kind of, I think, expressing her concern for Jessica. Like, keep an eye on her kind of thing. Um, So they're becoming aware of this possible toxic environment that she's in. It's even speculated that she possibly had a short affair, that short affair she had in 2014, and got pregnant as a sort of a way of kind of trying to get out of the relationship because maybe Matthew would want to break it off and, like, she could just go and get out. But I, it's not really confirmed. They just kind of think that that might be why she did that. So I'm sure it was, at least subconsciously, if, if nothing else. Yeah, if she's not happy, like she's going to go have an affair, and then she's like, "Oh wait, hmm, I could get out of this." If <laughs> right. Know. So after about six months of marriage, Jessica becomes aware of an affair that Matthew is having with a woman named Courtney, who's a dispatcher for the Spalding Sheriff's Office. Jessica and Matthew argue about this, and he admitted to her, and she basically decided, "All right, I'm taking my life back now, and I'm going to move out. We're going to get a divorce." And getting me and the kids out of here, whatever, since she puts her plane in motion. Her grandmother helped her secure a lawyer for the divorce, and she was basically, Jessica was documenting everything in a notebook. She had this, like, red 
you know, composition notebook that, you know, times that she believed Matthew was with the girlfriend and whatnot. And just also in general writing questions down that she might have for her lawyer. Bless her heart. I know. So on April 15th, 2015, she was going to move in with her sister. That was a Friday and she had planned, all right, tomorrow I'm moving out, moving in with my sister, packing up her bags. And she also had gotten a job at a chiropractor's office that she would start the following week. So she's like, wow. got this plan. She's taken her life back. She's, oh, you know, ready I have to a, start ba- over I have again. a very bad feeling. Mm, well, you should. <clears throat> so when we get from this back from this break, we'll find out how your bad feeling pans out. Oh. This episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. With summer in full swing and things almost back to normal, we are all out there doing the things we love again. Whether it's sitting on the beach, or by a pool, or enjoying a barbecue with friends and family, or even listening to your favorite true crime podcast, we are all here for it and ready for the fun. Sometimes while I sit by the pool, I play Best Fiends. With Best Fiends, the fun never ends. There are literally thousands of levels to play and tons of cute characters to collect. I'm up to level... 240, and I'm always amazed at how the game constantly challenges my brain. Sometimes it takes me several tries to pass the levels, and I'm always so determined to figure it out. It's one of those games that makes 30 minutes feel like 30 seconds, which can be good or bad. So if you want to have as much fun as I'm having this summer, download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R best fiends. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. So... Jessica's leaving. She's finally ending things with Matthew, and she has her bags packed. She has a job, so she needs to start weaning her youngest off breastfeeding. So on Thursday, April 14th, that's the day before she's supposed to leave, they pack up the kids, and Matthew and Jessica and the kids all go to Walmart to buy some formula. They argue about what formula to get, because clearly, like, this is the end of their relationship. Every little thing is going to just cause an argument. Um, But in the end, they come home maybe around 1030 that night. A neighbor sees them come home and, you know, waves him from the porch. Then a little bit later, that neighbor hears a gunshot and gets up and goes out to her porch. And as she's going, she hears another gunshot. And it's around 1045, so about 15 minutes maybe when, after they got home. 1045, 11. She then sees Matthew walking to his truck, get into it, and just drive away. So she doesn't have any – she doesn't know if it's come from there, where it came from. Like, she just heard it. She's out on her porch, and this is what she's witnessing. Matthew goes and meets a friend at the Waffle House and le- leaves to head home around 1254. We know this because he has like text messages <laughs> on his phone. And he receives a text from Jessica at that point stating that she can't do this anymore. She's had suicidal thoughts in the past. Take care of the boys. Tell them I love them, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, no. So he calls EMS to dispatch a unit to his location and explains that he's like racing home. He's afraid of what his wife's going to do, kill herself, hurt their children. He doesn't know. Please meet me there. 
He gets home within minutes, and he's walking up to the building. He hears two gunshots, and this is around 1 a.m. He runs into the house looking for Jessica and Tallinn and doesn't see anyone. And so he grabs his police radio from the kitchen and leaves the apartment and calls from his radio, his police radio, um, looking for help. And he explains that he heard gunshots, left the scene because he wasn't sure if it was an active situation and what was going on. So he was just like, I need to just get out of here and get help. So he said he was going to remain outside the home until police got there. So police arrive within minutes and immediately enter the home and see Tallinn sleeping in his room. And Tyler is crying from his crib in his bedroom. Okay. They get into the master bedroom and they don't see anything and they go to the closet and it's locked. So they bust into this closet and they find Jessica lying on the ground with a gunshot wound to the head. Nothing short of a miracle, though. She was in the she was in the closet. She was in her closet. (laughs) Yes, Um, she is actually alive at this point. Oh, thank God! Yes, she's fighting police, and when I say that, she's like batting them away because she's probably very confused as to what's like happening. I mean, you're shot in the head, whether you did it yourself or not. You're still shot in the head. I'm sure you like are kind of confused as to what's going on because you're alive. All of this, by the way, is on body cam footage. Like, you're watching. You see them find her, get her out of the closet. She's lying on the ground and, like, batting the police away. Did you watch it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, the whole time Matthew's on this body cam footage also is very upset by all of this and being asked questions about what he's wearing, if he's changed, and he's insisting... I haven't changed anything. I've been wearing this all night. I haven't washed my hands. I didn't try and wash anything off of me because I know that you're going to have to do some testing. And so I just kind of like, I left the house and I've just been sitting here. I haven't done anything. So they get her to the hospital and she's rushed into, rushed into surgery. And again, nothing short of a miracle. She survives this gunshot. Oh, to the head. good. Yes. Now we she's going to start talking, is she? We have a survivor. So, well, wait. She's in a medically induced coma for three weeks due to traumatic brain injury, though, and she just needs time to heal. So they are, like, giving her body time to rest. And when she's woken up, she has zero memory of the Oh, no. Nothing. The last thing she remembers is coming home from Walmart, going to get her shoes on to take the dog out for a walk. And that's, that's it. That's all she remembers. Okay. A week after she wakes up. She's discharged from the hospital. They try to send her to rehab facility, but she doesn't have insurance. And so she ends up just getting discharged to like kind of work on things at home with her grandparents. Three days after she gets discharged, she gets a protective order against her. Matthew is given temporary custody of the kids and she cannot come within 300 yards of them because she apparently tried to kill herself. And so she could at any moment try and kill those kids or they felt she was unstable enough to protect their children from her so okay oh Mm -hmm. my gosh okay so she's also ordered to have a psych eval at this point too to like kind of prove that she's not i mean they want to know is she you know capable of doing this so a psych did she have gunshot residue on her hands did they i'm good okay 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 i'm good (laughs) (laughs) a psychiatrist evaluated her at the hospital because clearly she was brought in as an apparent suicide that's like part of the protocol. You talk to this person and make sure. Cause, and they discharged her. 
And they've because they found no reason to hold her for treatment. They described her as having an appropriate mood and effect, an appropriate judgment. I mean, considering what she had just been through, her surgeon said she was a very positive person, had a sense of humor, was had a gentle and calm personality, and spoke lovingly of her children. The you know while she was there awake, so you know they're like, no, she can go, but yet she's supposed to now have another psych eval, I guess, to please the court. So, so the GBI are called in. You know what the GBI is, right? Everybody knows what the GBI is. Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Right. Yeah. They're called in to help with the investigation because clearly there has been there has to be an investigation on whether this was a suicide attempt or murder. Right. You know, and it involves a police officer. And it was his service weapon, by the way. Forgot to mention that somehow. That was used. Okay. So, yeah. Hmm. His government-issued service weapon. Okay. Jessica and family and friends are adamant that she would never do the, anything like this. She wouldn't even touch a gun. Like, apparently, like, her and her siblings and, like, cousins – or not her, but her siblings and cousins, they all, like, had gun lessons or whatever. I don't know if you call them lessons, but when they were younger, and she wouldn't do it because she was like, I don't want anything to do with guns. Like, so, no, done. Um, Matthew, at this point, is put on administrative leave, and the GBI spends some time investigating and don't close this case until September of 2016. So this was April of 2015, and they don't close that case until the six, uh, 2016. Okay. However, before they close the case and clear Matthew, he goes back to work in June of 2016. Okay. No, 2000. Yes. I don't. You know what? I didn't write that down, and that's my bad. But he. Goes back to work before GBI closes this case. Okay. Basically, his department is kind of like, uh, we don't think he did it. He's probably going to be cleared, so we'll just put him back to work now. Like, which, I don't know. That doesn't fly with me, because how can somebody be in the, in the center of the investigation, of this invest- investigation, and just go back to being a police and officer? And it being an open investigation, and it happening right. with his personal gun. Right. I know. Yeah. So, but... Well, not personal gun, but his, but, but his, work yeah, his work gun. Based on the suicide text that was sent and Jessica's DNA being on the gun, Matthew is eventually cleared by the GBI and they rule it a self-inflicted gunshot wound. The chief medical examiner that was featured in this report ruled it a suicide attempt, but never actually examined Jessica. Okay. So... The report also only contains interview statements from Matthew's co-workers, nothing from Jessica's family or friends and like what they thought, you know, because clearly they're like, she wouldn't do this. We think it was Matthew. He was controlling, but they weren't involved or questioned at all. So doesn't even make any sense. No, like you're not, not even trying. No, it doesn't make sense. So I've sort of alluded to the fact that there are some suspicious circumstances surrounding this incident. So let's just take a little bit of a deeper dive into things. There were some amateur sleuths out there, mm-hmm. which we know, we all know how great those amateur sleuths are. Um, and some reporters who did take a look at this and requested records and whatnot to look further into it because they just had a feeling that there was more to this story than everybody's being told. So bear with me. It's, it's a little bit, a lot. And I'm going to be like going back now to like take a look at the crime scene here. Okay. So it took the GBI six weeks to even talk to the surgeon who worked on Jessica. Okay. And when they did interview him, the conversation was not recorded because the agent forgot to charge his recording device. Mm. So there's really 
you know, no record of this, but the surgeon has been in this field for 20 years, and he indicated in his initial report that night that the injury did not fit with a description of a suicide attempt. Her wound was on the top, and I'm pointing because you can see me, but on the top of her head. And that would mean that she would have to, like, hold the gun above her head and point it down to shoot herself, which, in his opinion, is a very strange angle for someone. Nobody would do that. Nobody does that. Well, at least not that he had seen in 20 years. Also, he noted the pristine condition of her hands. You asked about that earlier. Mm -hmm. She has no blood and no indication of gunpowder residue. However, neither her or Matthew's hands were ever tested for gunpowder residue. Come on. Are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. Nope. I'm not. (laughs) So let's talk about that blood. There was he even zero. said, you said on the body cam, that he was like, I didn't wash my hands, I yeah. didn't change my clothes. So even he assumed that they would do that, and they didn't. Right, but they didn't. Exactly. So there's zero blood spatter in this closet that she's found in. As a matter of fact, there is no blood at all in this closet, except on a pillow that is found underneath her head. She was neatly laying on this pillow when they found her. And that's the only blood that is in the, in the um, closet. And the gun is underneath her. So that's how, like, I mean, well, they're saying her hand probably with DNA, but her DNA was on it because she's laying on this gun. Mm-hmm. In the closet, there were two bullet holes found. One high up on the wall, indicating that, a shot, that it was shot up in an upward trajectory. So if she's shooting her head down, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. why would there be a bullet hole going up through and it went through that wall out the ceiling in the next room and then like out the roof (laughs) oh my gosh Mm -hmm. and the other one was lower on the wall as if like it had been like coming from the opposite angle essentially so neighbors reported hearing what they thought were gunshots at 10 45 or 11 not Mm -hmm. at one like gunshots with an s also yes two like you don't have to shoot two times to try to kill yourself. People don't do that. Yes, exactly. And that was like one of my things that I was going to mention. So if I, you know, right. Yeah. I said later on, I wrote in my notes, like who tries to commit suicide misses completely. Yeah. Oopsie. And then is with it enough to be like, well, I'll give it another try. I feel like at that point you'd be like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Like, I don't know. Exactly. The gunshot would startle you back into hopefully. Yeah, exactly. So four people, thought they heard gunshots at 10.45. Now, GBI's like, well, but they didn't report that. Like, nobody called about that. But they're saying it now. So, anyway. And you remember Matthew's insistence that he had been wearing the same clothes all night and not changing? Well, footage from Walmart showed him in a red sweatshirt that evening, and the body cam footage from the police officers show him wearing a gray sweatshirt mm-hmm. at that time. So, so Laz, Laz Matthew. Lad. Now let's talk about his cell phone. Records indicate a few things. A minute after the suicide text comes in from supposedly Jessica. Now, Jessica has been asked about this because she was like, I don't think I sent that. And they're like, well, how did it send it? He's like, well, I didn't have a lock on my phone. So anybody could have like gotten in my phone and sent something. But Mm -hmm. a minute after this text comes in from her, Matthew's responding to his girlfriend, you know, because he's having that affair with a joking text. Okay. So he apparently gets a suicide note from his wife, but then has, you know, the time to send a joking text back to his girlfriend after that before. And then he makes a call to the EMS to come 
to my location. Okay, okay. Also, he runs into the house, grabs his radio, and left the apartment until police arrived, is what he's saying. Within seconds of him radioing, radioing, though, he sends a text to his girlfriend saying, give me a few to text back. Long story, I'll tell you later. <laughs> like, really? I mean, that's how you respond in this situation? Like, like long story. Stuff, <laughs> stuff's happening. Tell you yeah. later, though. BRB, girl. BRB. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so these amateur sleuths and reporters that I told you mentioned earlier noticed something interesting in crime scene photos because those are all like public. Well, everything's public. Matthew's gun is photographed into evidence on the counter in, um, and then on the counter in front of the microwave, his phone is photographed in the kitchen. So they question this. They're like, okay, so if he left the apartment, left his phone on the mic, like in front of the microwave where he grabbed the radio and then left and never came back in, how did he send this text to her right after he radioed if his phone is still inside? Okay. Right. So they question this and they asked the GBI and they explained it away, saying that, well, no, Matthew had his phone on him. And one of the officers grabbed it from him when they got to the scene, took it and just put it on the counter because they knew they were going to want to, you know, log it into evidence. So but then why would they take a picture of it? Well, why would they be like, here, give me your phone and then set it down and be like, somebody take a picture of this. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, yeah, (laughs) just logging it. I yeah, I don't know. So. However, when you watch the body cam footage of the police entering the apartment, you clearly see his phone on the counter in front of the microwave exactly where it is. <gasps> it's there. It was there. So nobody took it from him outside and put it in there because he was outside at that point. He left it in there. So he wasn't saying he didn't stay outside. There's no way he stayed outside. Like he's went back and forth in that. He probably apartment. radioed from in the apartment. Yes. And that's just said he was too, outside, and, and right, right before they got there, went out. Yeah, that's entirely possible. So. What a dummy. I know. He, he, I know. He is. I, well, you know, those, like, kind of people, they think, I'm so smart, plus, and plus he's a cop. Sorry, I, I, you know, I've got lots of cops in my family, and I support, but some of them, mm, just can't trust him. So, records indicate that a call went to his girlfriend after it was apparently sealed in an evidence envelope. (laughs) Like, they literally said it was sealed up, blah, blah, blah. But a call goes out during this time. This was explained away, saying that when they were leaving the scene, they had trouble getting out of the gate, and he was, like, fidgeting with stuff, and the officer who had it accidentally envelope called her. That's my term. (laughs) That's my term. That was not, like, stated. I was going to say, that's, like, the new pocket (laughs) dial now. Right. It's, like, the pocket dial for criminals. He, like, accidentally hit something through the envelope. Okay, whatever. So, also, okay, that was where I was going to mention the two shots, so I'm going to skip over that. Um, I'm pretty suspicious of Matthew at this point because I'm pretty sure that because he's a police officer and his grandfather is a sheriff that things are just being swept under the rug. And it was also stated that, like, initially when he called, he was like, please call my grandfather, like, right away. And so... I feel like he was trying to get him there to, like, help him figure this situation out and be Mm. the voice of reason. Um, And also, let me mention at this point, too, that there's pretty controversial stuff surrounding his grandfather, 
who, by the way, is no longer the sheriff there based on all of that other controversial stuff. And that's a long story on its own and could probably be another podcast. But basically, he swept awful behavior under the rug of another officer in his department and backed well, well, him well. up when things people accused him of things. But And later on, an investigation led to them uncovering all of that, and both of them were removed from their positions. So he's a sketchy character. So totally able to do this for his grandson. If he's going to do that for just some officer in his, you know, unit, he's going to do it for his grandson. Of course. Yeah. I would think. Mm -hmm. So Matthew moves in with his girlfriend after a few days, or a few days after the incident, and also moves. Yeah. And that's not suspicious to anybody Mm -hmm. either? Mm -hmm. Well, well, apparently not. So his wife is still in a medically induced coma. He only visited her once, by the way, the whole time she's in the hospital. I mean, Uh clearly they were were on the outs. I don't care. No, I'm just saying, like, well, if they're on the outs, then maybe he's just like, well, I'm not going to go visit her. You know, and I don't, whatever. It doesn't matter. I I agree with you. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. So, So he moves in with her. And moves all of Jessica's things out of the apartment, I think, based on, like, stuff that I read. It's not really clear, but I'm thinking that's what happened. Maybe the gives- family didn't want him around also. If we are devils advocating, her, her family may have been like, you are not coming in this hospital room. Well, yeah, that's true. Because her family thinks that he did this to her. Yeah, that's true. And the one time he did go, he brought his grandfather with him, dressed in uniform. And he was like, I'm going to have a witness with me because, like, I guess he figured she was going to blame him. Oh, well. So they're in the middle of a divorce. He gives all of her things back and it also has to sign. I don't know why he had to do this, but he has to sign an affidavit saying that he's returned all of her belongings and that he has nothing more of hers in his possession, like 100%. I don't know if that's like a normal thing in a divorce, but regardless, he has to do this. So in December of 2016, Jessica files a report with police that she's missing belongings and that she believes Matthew has had it this whole time and is not giving them back to her. He and the dispatcher break up, the one that he moved in with, and not long after that ends up with a new girlfriend pretty quickly and moves in together with her in January of 2017. During the move, his new girlfriend comes across this gym bag with women's clothing in it and a retainer with Jessica's name, like, written across the top of the container of the okay. retainer. Contain, retainer's container. <laughs> <laughs> Rhonda the Honda. Rhonda retainer the container. <laughs> she questions Matthew about it, and he basically says, oh, I was planning on burning that after everything just to, like, get rid of it, but I never did. Like, why were you going to burn it? Why didn't you just give it back, like, when you realized you still had it? You know, yeah, like, weird. Anyway. Or even throw it away. Right. I mean, yeah. be like, oh, this isn't even mine. Right. Yeah. So this girlfriend breaks up with him, too, in May, because I think she's kind of growing suspicious of him. And she like he has weird behaviors and he's controlling. So she's like, I'm getting out now. So but before she does, she contacts a man named Will Sanders, who's a trucker by trade, but he's also well known as a freelance investigator. So she's like, I'm going to call this guy. Like, that might be a funny. A I know. Trucker, right? freelance investigator. Mm-hmm. Will okay. Sanders. Okay, Will. He's my, he's my new friend. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. Be like and he's, Will. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's been looking into the case. So she lets him know that she, what she found, and he pays her to take video of it, where she found it, and, like, get it and give it to him. 
And so she does this. So she videos where she finds it, and it's like in a closet or something, takes it to him. He turns it over to the police. They find all of the clothes and the retainer inside the bag. Now remember, Matthew signed that, whatever, waiver saying that, or affidavit that he had given all of her belongings back. So there would have to be significant proof that these were Jessica's belongings. I mean, right now they're just, you know, girls stuff in clothes. Mm-hmm. Well, the retainer does the trick because it is clearly labeled with Jessica's name. For, like it was like the I think the label that like the dentist put on it. You know, like so oh. it was just like oh, Jessica in like <laughs> marker. I think <laughs> this retainer belongs to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Matthew gets arrested in July of 2017 and charged with two felonies, making false statements and violating his oath of office. What? There's video footage of him being taken in and questioned. And as it's all like happening and he's answering questions, he's literally like peeling off one piece of his uniform at a time and like handing it over because at this point he's like, I'm I'm losing my job. Like, I'm. I'm, I'm done right now. So, and he's like, just, I understand. I know. Cause they're like, you put us in a really weird position. Why'd you sign that thing? If you still had like blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he is not taken in front of a grand jury for a year. So he's arrested in 2017. He doesn't go until July of 2018, but eight months into it, Jessica's like, all right, what's going on? Why, like, why have you not taken him to a grand jury? What's going on with it? And the chief of police says that Matthew's oath of office is missing. So in order to convict someone of violating an oath of office, you have to prove that they were actually administered the oath first, which is basically just a certificate. Like on this day, Matthew Boynton was administered the oath of office, blah, blah, blah. So they're basically saying we, we, we can't find it. So we don't know. You know, we can't prove that he was actually administered this. So we don't. You know, Come we on. So this same reporter who has been helping investigate, you know, along with Will Sanders, submits a request through the Open Records Act requesting his oath of office. And within three hours, she receives a copy of this oath of office from the floor below the chief of police. Oh, (laughs) wow. That's not even a good lie. I know. And they've been looking for this for six months. So the next day, the chief makes a statement that they are in possession with the original document now. So... Hmm. So he goes before the grand jury in July of 2018. They come back with a no indictment. And from what I can tell, records from like grand juries are like not publicized or recorded. So I don't know why, but they do not indict him, even though they have proof <laughs> that he had an oath in office and that he was in possession with her clothes. Anyway, Jessica never received justice for what happened to her. And this controlling, clearly disturbed man, Matthew, has never been held accountable except for losing his job in Griffin for anything related to this case. And just to top that off, yes, he lost his job with the Spalding County Police, but he is still a certified police officer in the state of Georgia and can be hired by any other department in Georgia that is willing to hire him. What? No. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think he has been yet, but... What about the kids? Did she get her kids back? She, I mean, they fought for a long time and she now does have like at least partial custody. I didn't look like all the way up till now, but I know at the time of most of this was happening, she had gotten, you know, like half the time or something like that by then, but she may be still fighting. I don't, I don't know. I didn't continue to like look into that, but um, anyway, so yeah, 
But okay, so something that I forgot to mention, and I'm only realizing it now because I was I'm about to give you my theory on all of this. Okay, <laughs> but you have to know this first. So um, Jessica's aunt noticed when she was in the hospital that she had this like C-shaped bruise on the back of her head, not in the same spot as the gunshot, I don't think. Um, and she had taken a picture of it because she thought it indicated that there was some sort of struggle before she was shot. She could have fallen and hit her head on the wall, clearly, but she thought, well, somebody needs to know about it, so I'm going to let investigators know. So my theory about this, that was never actually taken into account, by the way. Like, it just kind of, like, got good shoved under the rug, too. He was pissed she's leaving and taking the kids, and they argued that night. They had already argued before Walmart. They're probably still arguing. She goes into the closet to get her shoes to walk the dog like she's remembering. He hits her from behind, maybe the barrel of the gun. That could kind of cause, like, a, that kind of shape. I don't know, like, if it's not right. completely hitting her. Puts a pillow over her head and shot her. So that's why there's no blood splatter, and there's only blood on the pillow. And then just lays her down nicely, like drops the gun, lays her down. Maybe the gun went off with the initial blood of the head. So I'm not really sure about like the multiple holes in the wall. But that would say to me they were fighting. Right. Like he was trying to shoot her and she was fighting him off and knocking the gun up and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He eventually won and got her down. And maybe that's when he hit her. Yeah, that could. Yeah, that's true. And then, yeah, like, put the pillow over so that there wouldn't be any blood splatter and he wouldn't have anything on him. And then he leaves for hours, kind of guaranteeing, well, if she's not dead now, she'll be dead in a few hours. And because everybody else heard the gunshots at 1045, not at 1. And he leaves, and he's not home until 1 in the morning. So, I don't know. But she survives. So, suck it, Matthew. (laughs) (laughs) Not that he got in trouble. Like, not that she was able to actually get him, like, held accountable for anything, but, like... It's so frustrating. I don't know. Are you frustrated by it? Because I'm. Yes, I think it's really gross. The whole entire thing makes me gives me the skeeves because it's like you're not safe with anybody. The thing that I think is really sad about it is, had she not survived, they probably would have done an autopsy, tested her hand for gunshot residue, Mm. looked at that bruise on the back of her head. You know, it would have been a more thorough investigation with a medical examiner, an impartial medical examiner, had she actually died. But the fact that she survived is what allowed them to be able to sweep stuff under the rug. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know that there would have been an impartial medical examiner then either. Well, possibly. I I feel like that's why they called the GBI in, because they didn't want his own department, you know, investigating this. But, but then if his grandfather is even the sheriff. Well. He's in with the GBI too, right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like I feel like they called them in to make it look like maybe they were, you know, doing the right thing on who should investigate this. But then it was still he still had an in with them, and I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly we don't know. But that also that amateur sleuth Will guy, he um, started getting like messages from. The like sheriffs basically like kind of warning him to back off. Oh, I and bet. And they they um, subpoenaed all of his Facebook message, like private Facebook messages, um, because they said he was part of a um, like another investigation of some burglary attempt, which he was not a part of. But they said, "Oh, sorry, that was like a copy and paste error. Your name wasn't supposed to be on that subpoena, but it was." And so they have all of his Facebook messages. So basically, they've kind of like. He's he's like I'm waving the white flag. I'm not 
I'm giving up. You win. Oh. I don't. Because he's like, these are the, this is the police department. Like, what am I going to do? Like, exactly. That's what I'm saying. You're not safe with anyone. Who do you go to? Who do we go to when we can't? I mean, look, that's a whole conversation on a bunch of different levels, but gross. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. People abusing their power in this country is gross. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this is a pretty obvious abuse of power. Like, this isn't like, oh, we're just saying it because we're pissed about stuff. Like, no, I'm not. I don't. They're either saying that they intentionally covered this up or that they are the worst police department (laughs) in the nation because they made what? I think we've counted at this point a dozen accidental Mm -hmm. errors. Well, we lost this paperwork. We accidentally put your name on it and it wasn't supposed to. Oops, we We never called somebody. We didn't test this. We forgot about this. We didn't remember where we put the phone. Like y'all's percentage of error here is very high. (laughs) Yeah. If that's the case, you probably should all be fired. Right. If you're just saying all of this was due to like oopsies. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not even probably statistically possible to make this many mistakes in one case. <laughs> I, I wouldn't think so. <laughs> I feel like we'd, we'd have a lot more news articles about this kind of stuff if it was. <laughs> disturbing. This just, sir, I don't know. This is just, what a good, that's a great case. I know. Megan, thank Danielle. Yes. Thank you for sending thank it our way. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Great case. Okay. Yeah. I liked it. Did you like it? <laughs> I mean, it was just, I was angry. And especially when you watch the body cam footage and you watch, you know, his questioning, you know, in the, when he gets, finally gets arrested for freaking lying. That's what he gets arrested for. But yeah, just watching all that and reading the articles. And, it's just and super. this poor girl is having to still co-parent her children with this man who tried to kill her. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure she's, re- she's remarried now and, like, doing oh, well. Yeah, because she got a job, actually, as, like, a assistant teacher in some, like, preschool. And everybody in the preschool, because she was still going through this, like, custody battle stuff, was, like, people were asking her to babysit their kids. And they were like, you do so well with the kids here, and you babysit my kids, and you're not allowed to see your own. Like, that's messed oh, up. Oh, messed up. poor thing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I just want to take her in. Like, come here. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> really, her. though? <laughs> she could babysit my kids. I don't know. Okay. Well, thank you for that story. Mm, yes. You did a good job. Thanks. I felt like I was just like talking for like three hours. There was a way. lot of information there, <laughs> yeah. but it was really yeah. good. I think you did a good job covering all the points. You answered all my questions and I'm real mad. It's very gross. But thanks for the suggestion. Thank you guys for listening. We love spending our Mondays with you and appreciate you guys so much. I know we say that a lot, but we really appreciate you guys. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you for all of the support and the love and the suggestions. Come find us on social media. Let's see some pictures and posts of this case that Christy is talking about. Give us a like, a rate, and a review. Subscribe. Tell your friends. And always remember, the world is scary. People suck. Hide in your closet. Always remember, the world is scary. People suck. Hide in your closets.